Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in studio by fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. What up, man? Joe Scosharo is once again on the road. This man is... Uh, Gallivanting. Always, always. Where's he at right now? He's in uh, Minneapolis, uh, in the center of the hurricane. That is true. That is true. Um, yeah, so Cash is on the road. He's going to talk to um, some local beat guys down there to get the, the inside scoop on what's going on with Jimmy Butler and his trade demand that has um, revived the offseason or started the actual preseason. I'm not quite sure which one, but that's what's dominating conversation right now in the NBA. And so that's what our show is going to be about today. So um, the second half of the show, Cash is going to bring you that uh, inside info, but in the first half... Wolfon and I are just going to cover everything there is to know in terms of the background with Jimmy Butler, um, the various parties involved, should, Thibode, should Tom Thibodeau be the one making this decision, um, and also we are going to construct some um, hypothetical trades that you know could actually fit if the Timberwolves do eventually relent on um, their current stance, which is that Butler has asked for a trade. And the Timberwolves are saying no, which is a pretty standard holding pattern, right? Anytime your star player says, I want to trade, it's in the best interest of the organization to always hold firm and say, no, we're not going to trade you. But realistically with him, with Butler being able to hit free agency next summer, um, if he doesn't want to stay and if he's making this much noise, chances are pretty good that uh, he's going to get his way out. Um, But let's start here, okay? So... Why does he want out in the first place? Is it money or is it an issue of um, not getting along with the players? I mean, I think it's both. Like, uh, it's in a roundabout way, I think it's about money because he is obviously going to be eligible for a fat new contract next summer. And whatever team has his bird rights is going to be able to offer him an extra year and those higher annual raises. So, he could get that contract by staying with the Wolves and re-upping with them, but if he doesn't want to be in Minnesota and he still wants to get you know, the most amount of money that he can on the open market, then it's in his best interest to get himself to a team that he wants to play on long-term right now so that you know, come next summer when he is an unrestricted free agent, um, he's not looking at potentially taking less money from a team that he wants to go to, right? Like he's saying, uh, or the report is that he wants to go to the Clippers, so if he can get himself to the Clippers now... Uh, you're talking about the possibility of him re-upping for five years instead of four next summer. So I do think there is a financial element to it. But I think the the bigger uh, issue, obviously, is his fit in Minnesota, both uh, in kind of like a basketball sense and a cultural uh, and a personality-based sense. Because from the start, it just seems like it hasn't really worked out um, between him and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Um, And... You know, Butler is a strong personality, and you could say maybe a domineering one, and that just like clearly didn't vibe with those guys who are obviously a little bit more laid back and take probably you could say a more casual approach to the game of basketball. And <clears throat> I mean, as successful as the Wolves were at points last season, and they were very good when Butler was healthy. Uh, there there was clearly something broken there, I think, and the locker room never really seemed to function uh, in a healthy fashion. So uh, to me, the biggest issue is just that like there isn't a fit there with him and those two other guys. And I mean, you can see that from his end because stuff has been leaking out from his camp all summer about how unhappy he was with the work ethic of the other guys in that locker room. But then you also see uh, from, you know, Townsend Wiggins' side how mm-hmm. unhappy they seem to be 
with with Butler's presence in their locker room. So I think from both sides, uh, you know, the marriage wasn't working from the jump. Um, and I think it's gonna, you know going to benefit all sides for the team to move on from this. Um, I think Wiggins and Cat definitely um, are under the pressure and under the spotlight this year, especially. I think that's what this trade has really done. Um, but I think, in a sense, isn't Butler also under the spotlight because he didn't really get along with players in Chicago towards the end when he started becoming one of the most prominent players in the league. You recall the three alphas period where you have Rondo on one side sticking up for the young guys, and then you have Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler doing their own thing in Chicago. That led to a huge rift. People were calling each other out in the media, um, and they eventually kind of solved it, not entirely, but they did get to the playoffs, and it did you know, go up 2-0 uh, as, as the eighth seed. Um, before losing that series I mean look yeah like if if Rajon Rondo's the grown-up in the room I feel like yeah that's a bit of a red flag right that's and a concern I think Dwayne Wade really did influence Jimmy Butler in a way not necessarily negatively I just think that he kind of made him realize like this is what it means to be a star this is the kind of power you and influence you can wield and right. I, I think Butler is willing to, and I think in Butler's mind he thinks he's right which he might very well be because he is more hardworking than these players and he is better than these players but as a leader you know, there's two ways to lead. You can go about that Kobe Bryant style of like scowling, or you can go about that like Tim Duncan style of, you know, uh, patting someone on the head and, you know, taking them aside and showing them the ropes the right way to do it. And it very much seems like Butler is that type A type of personality like, you know, Kobe, and he's going to get in people's faces. He's going to call people out. And I think that's a personality thing that they, the Timberwolves are not doing a good job of managing. And I think that comes back to Tibbs. Which you you gotta wonder like he should have foreseen this in the first place right like I mean it, it, it was the right move at the time maybe to get Butler because the price wasn't actually that high to get him you know it's like a in Zach Levine coming off ACL Chris Dunn who wasn't really impressive and number seventh pick which turned out nicely but still I mean you you would do that trade for two years of Butler but you also had to consider that. Butler has this type of personality, and the two stars there existing in, in, in Towns and Wiggins aren't those types of guys. And so do you think Tibbs made a mistake in trading for, for Butler in the first place? I mean, in hindsight, it's easier to say that, but no, I don't, because I think that was a home run of a trade that you make 10 times out of 10. And okay, I think the hope at the time, and probably a realistic hope, uh, was that rather than clashing with those two guys butler would maybe be able to elevate them to um you know a, a different sort of work ethic right like um and and coax something more out of them and i feel like you know thinking that maybe that's the kind of thing that they needed uh was a sort of a more demanding teammate who was going to kind of uh you know not accept um anything less than 100 percent all the time and you know hold them accountable for uh, their laziness or, you know, whatever he perceived to be uh, their, you know, whatever he perceived to be lacking in their games or their mentality. Like, I think that's reasonable, right? Because I don't know, at this point, we're looking at those two guys and what what is going to help get them to that next level, right? I mean, um, we, we can talk about Wiggins, like, that's a whole other story. Towns to me is like has already put himself in the conversation as like a top twenty player in the league just yeah, because of how sure. talented he is. But uh, there is certainly still a sense that he could be a lot more. Um, and again, he's he's really young, so there, there's time for him to get there. But um, from 
what I can tell, I mean, it, it seems like Butler was really jarred by what he saw when he got there. I don't think he was expecting to find the level of, I don't know if malaise is the right word, but I think it clearly wasn't what he was expecting. Yeah, right? the other two guys aren't as serious about basketball as he is. And I think that's where... I mean, less so with Towns, like you said, just because I think Towns has shown way more. But with Wiggins, like, the promise with Wiggins was, I mean, like, this guy went first overall, and it wasn't necessarily uh, that stacked of a draft. I mean, Jabari Parker went number two. He ends up signing, you know, walking away in free agency this summer. Obviously, he had injuries, but still, not very impressive, uh, at least thus far. And then Embiid, which, like, Embiid, right now, obviously, you would take Embiid over any of those three guys. But at the time, he was going to be out for a year, and then he broke his foot again, and he was out for the first two years of his career played 33 games in his third year and finally played kind of a healthy season last year. So it's not like any of these were slam dunks. But still, Wiggins was that guy that was like hyped as, you know, maybe the second coming of a Kobe type of player, maybe a Kobe mixed with a Tracy McGrady, which like, okay, obviously that's like way too much to live up to. But still, this guy went number one overall. He was... Um, I don't know. I think he was, he was really hyped. And I remember at the time, it was like, well, he has a lot of defensive upside. And now you look at him, like he doesn't... He doesn't play hard. He really doesn't. There's a very big difference between when he gets up to play for games where, like, you know, Cleveland, the team that traded him, right? When Cleveland comes into town, he averages, like, 30 points a game. When the Toronto Raptors come, because he's, you know, from near Toronto, Vaughn. It's not in Toronto. It's Vaughn. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, like, he plays a lot more engaged in those moments. And so I think if you're Butler and you've seen that up close, you're, you're probably wondering, like, I don't want to waste my time spending sort of my future on – a player like Wiggins, if he can't shape up, because, like, man, you already got your max contract. You're 24 years old. You've won rookie of the year. Like, at some point, you got to take the next step in your career. And Wiggins has pretty much just been the same guy. He hasn't become a better rebounder, not a better passer, not a better shooter. His free throw had actually dropped last year. Like, I don't know, man. At, at some point, you can't just get by with talent. But, I mean, if you already have the max deal, I think that's probably where, you know, um, where Butler has this problem, and then all of, then you get Nick Wiggins, his older brother, chiming in and saying "Hallelujah!" Like that's that's a whole other thing altogether. I think we're about to find out a lot about Andrew Wiggins, and yeah, you know, he has as much riding on this coming season, I think, as anybody in the league. And you know, again, there he's getting ripped in the media. He's getting clowned by Stephen Jackson, saying he has no heart. It's kind of true, though. It kind of is true. Well, we'll see. I mean, he's in the first year of that Max deal, and like you said, this shines a spotlight on him and Cat, right? Because they yep. effectively helped run Butler out of town one year after he got there. The impetus is on them to show that, like, you know, without him there, they mm-hmm. can be more. Because they didn't do anything before Butler got right. there. And even last season, like, you know... And there's um, reports last season that Wiggins is unhappy being a third option, you know? He and, like, led the team in shot attempts. He took more shots than anyone else. He didn't but you, have the ball as much, but right, still, right. still no, shot the ball a lot. He did, but you you understand what he's talking about, right? And it's not yeah. it's not just about shot attempts. It's sort of about like where you are in the pecking order, and that that doesn't just have to be reflected in how many shots you take. It's about kind of like where you fit into the offense and how you're viewed. I think uh, in terms of like the leadership and power structure of the team. So it's on him now to prove that he deserves to be more than a third option, right? And like. If he can't go out and prove it this season, like I think we really have to start wondering if it's ever going to happen for him. Yeah, because at this point, like he just needs to come out and kill everybody, right? Like that's if he wants to silence people right. and like prove 
that the Wolves, you know, basically uh, made the right decision, uh, mm-hmm. giving him that max extension and putting the keys to the future in his hands. Like, it's got to start right now. Right. And I don't know. I mean, we haven't really seen anything to this point that, that suggests that that's going to happen. But, I mean, the, the really interesting thing to me in, in all of this is, like, those three guys – even though it didn't look great at times, they, they played effective. they played really well together last year. When those three yep. guys were on the floor together at the same time, they had a net rating of plus 10. Right. They outscored teams by 10 points per 100 possession, which is unbelievable. Um, you know, Despite the fact that the fit was not seamless and that it was certainly not aesthetically pleasing at times and the, the offense certainly devolved into a lot of like your turn, my turn stuff, like they were effective. Yeah, And the teams that Butler reportedly wants to get traded to are... You know, they don't have players as good, certainly not as good as Carl Anthony Towns. And, you know, you could argue not as good as Andrew Wiggins either. Like, he wants to get traded to the Nets for some reason and possibly yeah. the Knicks um, and the Clippers. Like, I, it, it's very strange that, he, that the teams at the top of his list are teams that are more devoid of talent than the Wolves are. So that tells me that, like, this isn't really necessarily even about talent and, you know, the kind of. Uh, players he wants to surround himself with so much as it's about like the personalities that he wants to surround himself with um and he's obviously taking more of a long view right like wanting to go to a team like the clippers or the nets or the knicks that has a lot of cap space where another star could come and play with him right um and that also tells me that he wants to be like the guy right like he doesn't want to go and join a team that's sort of already in progress uh where there is a pre-established culture that he doesn't maybe fit into Mm -hmm. but more so to go to a place where he can establish that culture and then bring another star into it. Uh, and I think that says a lot about him. Sure. And uh, that could probably help explain why things didn't work out as well as we might have hoped in Minnesota. Um, I, going back to the Wiggins thing, I just wanted to put the stat out there because I, I read it in Zach Lowe's column um, on Friday. Uh, so Zach Lowe presented some tra- tracking data, which um, you know, are basically all these cameras in the arena and, you know, they, they track biometric stuff like how quickly you're running and stuff like that. Wiggins ran hard, which is like, you know, sprinting. Uh, probably a, above a certain threshold in speed and acceleration. He ran hard 5% of the time, which basically put him in the same company as like centers. So this is not a guy that, that tries that hard, despite the fact that he is, um, I would say, a top five athlete in the league in terms of just his explosiveness and his his quick twitch muscles and everything like that like Wiggins is like he's he's too good basically to be this lazy and I think um yeah I mean if if I were Butler I definitely see where he's coming from I think with the Towns thing like it's also interesting because Towns has a lot of leverage in this situation right because he um the Timberwolves have that you know maximum rookie extension on the table for him and he's just kind of chilling he's just like yeah i don't need to sign this right now maybe solve the butler thing first and then come back to me and um i does I mean, he have leverage there though like he's going to sign it obviously maybe maybe but i, I mean like i would realistically be he's not leaving right i mean even That's next year if he hits restricted free agency he's still not really able to leave unless he turns down like 150 million dollars yeah, to, to take sign a, a qualifying offer. yeah he's which, not going he's no. not going to do that but still, I mean, it seems like the Timberwolves are trying to get that other side done before they come back and try to appease Cat. And so um, I think that's where the ownership perspective has really come into this because it's clearly a very messy situation. Tom Thibodeau um, hasn't really been able to fulfill both the coaching and the GM aspects up to par in terms of normally in a situation like this, you have 
uh, a good cop bad cop situation right like either the coach is the good guy or the bad guy or whatever and then the gm could play the opposite and maybe you can massage relationships a little bit right now tibbs is a little bit too close and his um his motivations are not necessarily about the team it's really about himself he doesn't want to coach a bad team he doesn't want butler to leave um that's why i think the timberwolves owner glenn taylor who was around when KG got traded, who was around when Kevin Love got traded. He's kind of stepping into this. He's at the NBA Board of Governors meeting right now, and a lot of teams, according to Woj, are trying to get to Butler through the owner, which is not a situation you want normally because a normal franchise just lets their GM handle everything. But this is clearly not a normal situation, and I think it really begs the question, like, is Tibbs qualified to serve these two roles? Um, And if not, should the Timberwolves consider getting rid of this conundrum either taking that responsibility away from him like the clippers did with doc rivers or maybe just letting him go altogether because he doesn't seem to be helping anything in the, in the moment i think what we've seen in the last few years is that nobody really is equipped to occupy both of these roles in today's nba right like there's just too much work that goes into being a gm um and there's like not a ton of overlap frankly between that and coaching in the nba it really makes it difficult, I think, for those two roles not to compromise each other in some way. And, like, we've talked about this on this podcast before, how, like, would GM Tibbs really want to make a move that's going to make life harder on Coach Tibbs? No. Like, there's already reports out there that he said he would rather quit than trade Butler and right. coach a 31 team. And that's why and, – and, you know, you had a report that Glenn Taylor was – you know, very concerned about uh, the culture that was sort of taking shape under Thibodeau's nose in Minnesota as well. Like, he didn't um, like how this setup was kind of playing out. And again, you, like we, we've seen uh, Doc Rivers was stri- stripped of his executive responsibilities. Uh, Mike Budenholzer was before that. Uh, we saw how that worked out for Stan Van Gundy. Like there was this wave of coaches who basically gained executive uh, authority like in the last half decade or so. And it hasn't really worked out for any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Like the, it, it's just, it's too difficult, I think, for for. Uh, one of those roles to not cannibalize the other. And I do think that Tibbs, you know, is suited to at least one of those roles, uh, you know, and whether they decide that they want to keep him on as a GM or, uh, sorry, or president of basketball operations or as the coach, um, I think he could competently do either of those jobs. And again, I think he did a good job uh, orchestrating that Butler trade. Which okay. to me was a good trade. Okay, uh, I think he did a good job. Like uh, Taj Gibson signing was a good signing. Like I don't yeah. think he's done, he's made any objectionable moves. As uh, you know, the Derrick Rose thing, the Jeff Teague thing, the Wiggins contract, the Jeff the Wiggins thing, thing. I think the Wiggins thing was also ownership. I think for sure because it for seems sure. like Glenn, Glenn Taylor is the biggest fan of Wiggins in the entire Twin Cities. Yeah, and I don't I don't think the Jeff Teague signing was like abjectly bad. Um, yeah. It's short term. I, I think there were there were point guards out there who would have fit their roster better, uh, and I think they didn't have to give him as much money as they gave him. But like, could have got Kyle Lowry. Would have been maybe. better for the short term. I mean, yeah. if you were trying to win in the short term, I'd rather have Kyle Lowry than Jeff for Teague. sure. And if Kyle Lowry's there, then maybe Jimmy Butler is more inclined to stick around because those guys have the same mentality and and they get along. So and the Team USA connection, there, yeah, twenty sixteen. But but I, I don't think he's necessarily done a bad job as an executive. Okay. Um, as a coach, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated, I think. But I would bet against him. Like, I don't think he'll have both of these jobs by season's end. Uh, I don't know if he'll have either of them. And, you know, it's like you said. Like, it, they could go a lot of different directions with a Butler trade, right? Like, it could be part of a rebuilding project. Or 
they could return a player who's going to help them in the here and now. Right. So um, I think, you know, a lot will depend on what Glenn Taylor decides to do. And I think cutting Thibodeau out of that decision-making process is probably a smart thing for the franchise. Right. Because he's just a little bit too close to that situation, I think, to be able to make the smartest possible decision for the franchise's future. But is that going to alienate him? And, and is that going to force his hand and make him want to quit the job? I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I think the perception around tips, I think, is, is a little bit unfair right now uh, because I think so much of the offseason has been spent ridiculing um, his... Timberwolves operation? Yeah, the Timberwolves. I, I mean, like, I guess individually they make sense. Like, it, a team with that little depth, like, you know, like, it makes sense to add, like, a Luol Deng kind of on a minimum contract. It's not so bad. Like, if another team added Luol Deng for a minimum contract, people wouldn't be clowning them for it. It's just that Tibbs has that history of, you know, wanting to take out both his knees um, and his spine, apparently. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't, some of these deals, are, they're not that bad. Even the Derrick Rose signing, which, like, yeah, Derrick Rose was really terrible last season, right? But, I mean, in the playoffs, Derrick Rose actually had some nice moments. I think he averaged, like, 14 points a game for them. Uh, it's it, For a minimum contract, it's not the worst thing in the world, especially when you already have, you know, two other guards in, um, you know, Teague and even Tyus Jones off the bench. Like, those two can handle it if... Derrick Rose goes missing again or whatever if Derrick Rose isn't good. Like, those individual moves are not bad, but I just think it's brought so much bad press, right? Like, you're seeing them get clowned on ESPN about the Timberwolves. You're seeing um, Twitter nonstop making fun of this team. Like, whenever Joakim Noah gets bought out from the Knicks, it's going to come up again, and it's just like this running joke. Like, I don't think the Timberwolves as a franchise want to be seen as a joke. I think um, for so long they've just struggle to be a franchise that people want to be at they want to be a franchise where people can or stars can really grow and and you know they can be a sustainable playoff team they finally get there and then this is the offseason that you get it's just like abject misery right so i just think it's unfortunate on, on timberwolves or uh, Thibodeau's uh part but i also think that like is he still that good as a coach right because like his whole thing is we're going to be solid defensively, right? He came up as a defensive guy under um, Doc Rivers for the uh, Celtics teams that, that won the championship in 08. Um, and his teams were elite defensively in Chicago, but in Minnesota, they've been bottom 10 both years, right? And so can he even fulfill that part of the, the game anymore? And also with, in terms of minutes, like is he is he outdated as a coach? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of another instance, I think, of the, the dual roles not really serving each other particularly well because the thing with the minutes loads last year, like, he rode his starters pretty hard. And part of the reason for that is that he assembled a kind of crummy bench. So that made it easier for him as the coach to justify playing <laughs> starters a little bit more than you would like. And well, he got a little dang now, so it's and fine. If you, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, and if you look at kind of how their, their offense operated, uh, they were comparatively pretty three-point averse uh and you know we're not really catching up to the league trend of bombing away from deep uh they were more of an interior oriented offense one that liked to kind of pound the air out of the ball and like run the shot clock down they played at a slow pace they played two traditional bigs together and that was in part you know Tibbs the GM putting together a roster that Tibbs the coach um you know was going to feel comfortable uh running his stuff through so you know I don't really know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, except that 
Um, I think if he was freed from one of those responsibilities, it might make it easier for him to see a little bit more clearly in the other. Is he outdated as a coach? In some ways, definitely yes. Um, and the minutes management is, I think, a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it would be nice to see the Wolves shooting more threes and focusing more on generating clean looks, you know, whether it's at the rim or the three-point line. Uh, instead of the ridiculous number of mid-range shots they put up last year. Um, they, I mean, they also did get to the rim a lot, and they got to the free-throw line a lot. Like, right. that was kind of... They're an old-school team. Like, offensively, they play an old-school brand of basketball. They remind me a lot of the Raptors teams yeah. in, like, the few years before this past year, where, look, they finished fourth in the league in offensive efficiency, right? Like, right. that's important to remember. They were a top-five offense last year, despite the fact that it didn't look like it should work. Yeah. It still worked, and it worked because they put pressure on defenses... Um, and, and kind of stretch them to their breaking point by just attacking the rim over and over and over again. And they would get guys into foul trouble. They would pile up free throws. It was effective. And then we saw the, the limits of that in the playoffs, you know, where they just ran into a huge math disadvantage against the Rockets and were blown off the floor. So I, I definitely think there's room for adaptability there with Tibbs. Like whether he is actually going to prove adaptable is another story, but... As long as he is at the helm making personnel decisions and putting together rosters that feed into his worst impulses as a coach, I don't see how he kind of breaks out of that cycle. Yeah, and, and with the minutes thing, I just think that like so much of the league has changed, like you said, man. Um, last season, if you look at the top two teams in each conference, Houston, Golden State, uh, Toronto, and Boston, uh, Houston had two players playing over 33 minutes a game. Uh, Golden State had two players averaging over 33 minutes a game. Um, the Raptors had one player averaging over 33 minutes a game, and the Celtics had zero. The Timberwolves, the entire starting five, averaged more than 33 minutes a game. So, uh, I mean, it's just – it's a – the concern there is like, okay, so some of these guys are young right now, right? So, like, it's not as bad for Wiggins, who doesn't even play hard, to play 82 games and play a lot of minutes. It's not so bad. He's missed one game in four seasons. and yeah, When you don't play hard on defense and don't go for loose balls and stuff, like, you're fine. Um, but <laughs> – but, I mean, like, you look at the track record with some of the old tips guys. Right? Like, Joe Kim Noah, his body broke down. Luol Dang had a botched spinal tap, and he's playing basketball. Jimmy Butler's missed an average of 15 games per year over the last, like, five seasons. Um, you know, like, Derrick Rose, obviously. One of my, I forgot, but, like, that. Derrick Rose is the most influential example, right? And, like, yeah, individually, those guys might have different issues otherwise. Like, Derrick Rose never really learned how to land properly, and his knees always looked like on, they are on the verge of exploding, so it wasn't necessarily Tibbs. But when you play that many minutes, and the sports science data is, you know, uniform in this example, right? Like, the more minutes you play, the higher chance of injury you have. And it's not just like a one-to-one because you play more minutes, you have a more opportunity. It's You're more likely to because you're exerting yourself more. And I, I, it's just not great. And then also in terms of, like, p- players today, it's a really player-friendly league, and you're seeing, like, all these old school coaches struggling to adapt with that. Unless you're a guy like Dwayne Casey, which shout out Pound the Rock, man. Dwayne Casey, keep pounding that rock in Detroit. Um, but like unless you're a guy like Dwayne Casey who kind of adapts with the times, like a lot of these old school coaches end up burning out and they're not as effective. You look at Stan Van Gundy, who is very much similar to Tip Tom Thibodeau. You look at guys like Steve Clifford, Jeff Van Gundy can't get back in the league. A lot of these old school type of mentality dudes, like they can't really vibe with the players today which is it's a much more player friendly league you got to manage egos you got to manage all this other stuff and while it's not great in terms of as a coach but like you know you you have to do some of this stuff and you know Thibodeau's not behind the scenes coddling these guys you know he's not you know 
making a Fortnite account so that he could play with Cat to make sure he, you know, goes to sleep at a regular time, you know, like so. But there's also a question of, st- of like stylistic evolution too, right? And Tibbs right. made his bones as a defensive genius who revolutionized NBA defense with, you know, like packing the paint, icing the pick and roll, but like yeah. what do you do when like these guards can just like bomb pull up threes right. and, you know, modern NBA offense has changed a lot mm-hmm. and then it's like you have to find another thing. You have to find a way to evolve and innovate right. again. And that can be really difficult to do, you know, when you have uh, been so successful for so long doing one thing, um, it can be that much harder to adapt. So I don't think that, like, there's no hope for Tibbs as a coach uh, mm-hmm. because he is, like, a basketball junkie who, uh, you know, lives and breathes the sport and, yeah. you know, has proven one of the smartest guys in the league and could conceivably uh figure all this stuff out and and completely reinvent himself as a coach but i just don't know if i see it happening with the particular roster that he's put together now a butler trade could change all that um and it really just depends kind of like how they see this shaking out where they want to go from here i mean tibbs is out there saying he would rather quit than you know go through a rebuild but it doesn't have to be a rebuild i mean to me i think that they can Bring back pieces in a Butler trade okay. that can conceivably actually help them move forward as a team. Um, again, a lot of that is going to be contingent on what happens with Wiggins and Towns. Right. If, they, if those but, guys actually take a step forward and decide to play defense, they'll be fine. They just haven't yet. And so it's it's, it's kind of hard to bank on that happening. But, so yeah, I think both of us agree that Butler's going to get traded eventually. Look, if he wants to force his way out and he's on the last year of an expiring deal... Uh, those deals tend to happen. You know what I mean? Like, you look at Paul George, you're looking at Kawhi. Like, it happens, right? So, um, he has indicated that he prefers to go to the Clippers. I think that's probably his number one destination. Um, and then past that, he's more willing to go to the Knicks and then maybe the Nets, right? The Nets are kind of third in that list. But uh, that's Butler's list. Obviously, the Timberwolves don't have to adhere to that. The, but- the Timberwolves are going to make whatever move makes the most sense for themselves. And so... With that in mind, let's build some trades. Uh, you have one from the Clippers that uh, you think could work for both sides. So if he wants to go to, to the Clippers and the Wolves are kind of willing to grant him that request, I mean, you're saying, yeah, they don't have to trade him to a team that he wants to go to, right. but it becomes harder to trade him to a team that's not on his list because that team is uh, you know, not necessarily confident that they're going to be able to re-sign him, so, right. or maybe not inclined to offer as much. The Clippers, I mean, the big question is, uh, are they willing to include Tobias Harris in a trade? And uh, do the Wolves want to bring Tobias Harris back? Because I think he's a great fit with their roster, but he is also on an expiring deal. So I don't know if he appeals to them as much. But to me, he would have to form the backbone of a Clippers trade package. And from there, I think uh, you would add in a a young prospect and an unprotected first-round pick. So uh, the prospect I would add is, is Jerome Robinson because I don't think they're going to include uh, Gilgis Alexander in that trade. Okay. Um, and, you know, Jerome Robinson, I don't know. He, he is a bit fuzzy as an NBA player right now. He's a combo guard who, uh, you know, doesn't really profile as a strong defender and um, as a playmaker is maybe, you know, not what you would like to see from a guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, not, he's a great shooter, but uh, certainly not an ideal playmaker. So... I think there could be something there, uh, and he's an interesting enough prospect that you could have him as a throw-in. The Wolves obviously would probably push for Gilgis Alexander. I just don't think the right. Clippers would be willing to throw him into that deal. So, um, I'm kind of using like the Kawhi trade package as a guide here. Right. So what you have is an established uh, 
borderline star. Tobias Harris not on DeRozan's level. I feel like you're stretching that one a little bit. And Tobias, but is that's on why expiring. I say like the pick yeah. would be unprotected. Right. Um, okay. And then I mean, Pirtle also is like a more proven player than Jerome Robinson yeah, is. For sure. But I mean, I don't know. What do you What do you think of that as a comparison? Like comparing it to the Kawhi trade package because they're both to me kind of distressed assets, right? Yeah, like, for sure. I think that's similar. I, I think obviously with Kawhi, he is a better player than Jimmy Butler and more accomplished. But I mean, like, but he played nine games last year. But he played nine games last year, right? So yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't. I think this is pretty close. I think the the Clippers wouldn't mind giving him any of their assets. I think if you're the Timberwolves and you're really trying to compete, you probably push for Lou Williams as well. Just as um, and a legitimate six man, like you're talking about their bench being being trash. I mean, like you bring Lou Williams off that bench, it's going to be a lot easier um, to manage that. And so, I don't know, man. I mean, but that, you just that, that's the, close. And, and look, if you're the Clippers, if they ask for Lou Williams, you probably just go like, okay, fine, whatever, take him. If you're the Wolves, though, I just think you run into the same kind of fit issues with a guy like Lou Williams on your team that you did with Jamal Crawford, yeah. you know, and Butler and he's and way better Rose. than those guys. Well, not way better, but he's he had a really nice year last year, like twenty. But I think a game. We, like. I don't know if I if I were making these decisions for the right. Wolves front office, like I would want to look for guys who would basically be able to kind of facilitate the growth of Wiggins and Towns. Okay, fair enough. And to me, what that means, like you have guys who don't necessarily need the ball in, in their hands, um, three and D type of guys, guys who uh, aren't necessarily like overbearing personalities. And I don't know, Tobias Harris to me fits that bill. He's a great spot up shooter. Um, you know, he doesn't need to to have like a tremendously high usage to be effective, and he can play on both sides of the floor. And I think that would be a good fit. And then you get an unprotected first-round pick, and so you can kind of make this deal with the present and the future in mind. Okay. Um, so that, I mean, if I was the Wolves, that to me would be an appealing enough package. Clippers is a little bit more complicated because, you know, we talked about this with Kawhi when there were rumors about the Lakers being in the mix to trade for him and them kind of putting together these sort of pathetic offers for him because yeah. they were only willing to give up so much for a guy that they felt like they could sign in free agency uh, a year down the line. And I feel like the Clippers are maybe in that same boat where they're just not going to be able you know, be willing to give up that much mm-hmm. knowing that Butler wants to go there and that they're going to have all this cap space next summer with which they can potentially sign him. Right, and I think the same issue really applies to both the Nets and the Knicks, right? Because on one hand, if you're Butler and you put out this list of, hey, these are the three places I want to go – Yes, those teams should technically be more incentivized to be like, all right, well, you actually resign with us so we can actually treat you as more than a rental. We can go pay real assets to get you. But on the other hand, you could just be like, well, they're gonna, he's going to sign with us anyway. So why am I giving up assets, right? I mean, you know, if you're the Knicks, you probably regret that scenario. That's probably why the Knicks haven't really tried to put together real packages. They've said almost explicitly that they're not going to trade for him right now. They're not going to trade assets for him um, because – they went through that same situation with Melo, right? And so um, I think that's where a team in the middle might come in and and basically uh, steal Butler away. And I think that surprise team could be the Blazers because we talked with the Blazers a lot on this podcast about how they're in this middle area where they're not really doing much. They keep going to the playoffs. They don't make it very far. They don't contend. Their roster is really capped out. They don't have cap room forever. Um, and when you look at the two guys, like, Dame is the guy that they want to keep, so they probably will end up moving CJ at some point. And if if you offer the Timberwolves CJ McCollum for Jimmy Butler, I think they would definitely do that, right? If you're Tibbs, you're like, fine, whatever. I'll take a player who is 75% as good as Butler but has three more years left on his contract, and we can still compete right now and go for it. Um, 
I think the term makes that deal really interesting is that they right. would get three years of CJ. Right. But he, By the way, it's, it's three very expensive years of CJ McCollum because he doesn't really do much but score. And last right. year, he was, he was like a below average efficiency score last season. You're also um, taking a bottom 10 defense and swapping out their best defender for right. a minus defender. So. Right. But I mean, look, if you're in this situation, I, I think CJ McCollum is the best player that we've mentioned on. We, we both came up with three fake trades each, and CJ's the best player, right? And so you got some security here in Minnesota. Stars obviously leave you all the time, so you might as well try to grab one. Um, and, yeah, I think also for Portland, like, it makes a lot more sense. Like, hey, make one serious push, you know. Trust that Damian Lillard, who is very much of the same attitude as Jimmy Butler. In terms of you want to talk about guys who are serious about basketball and winning, like Damian Lillard is that dude. Um, you know, you put those two guys together, you try to let Dame recruit butler and if look if butler that money thing is an issue like if you hold his bird rights you could pay him 50 more million than any other team and this is a situation where the bird rights are going to be important he's 29 years old so are you like are you really going to turn out an extra 50 million dollars when you're 34 because like yeah at that time no one's going to give you that money right especially if you're butler with his injury history so i think if you're Portland, you actually have a decent chance of resigning him they should really look at it the way Toronto looked at it, which is like Toronto also made the playoffs five straight years in a row with two guards. They didn't really do that much, although they did a lot more than Portland. Um, and then they decided it wasn't good enough. We'll go for Kawhi, right? We'll trade DeRozan for Kawhi. This is like a discount DeRozan and CJ McCollum for a discount Kawhi Leonard in Jimmy Butler. And I think they should make that same move. I mean, I, th- I would love that move for the Blazers. Uh, I just yeah. wouldn't necessarily love it for the Wolves. True. But depends um, on how high you are on CJ McCollum. Yeah. But I mean that just, that just sort of and talking about you know whether he would be open to reassigning there just like kind of brings me back to how weird this whole thing is because Butler's out here talking about like how all he cares about is competing for a championship right. and like um, these guys he, aren't serious about competing for a championship. I'm right. gonna go to the Nets. He, he wants to go to the Nets or the Knicks or the Clippers. Like what? I I, I don't get yeah. it. And so that goes back to what I was saying before, where it's like I think that he wants to go and kind of like put his own imprint on a team and kind of like mold that team in his own image and recruit a star to his team um, rather than, you know, going to a team that has established stars already, which is why I don't think he would necessarily love the idea of a trade to the Sixers. Mm-hmm. But if he was open to that, like hey. they, they would be a great trade destination for him. And, you know, for the Sixers after a, an off season in which they whiffed on LeBron and Paul George and Kawhi, uh, they still have the goods to put together a great trade package, I think, for Jimmy Butler. And one of the one the trade packages that I kind of always brought up uh, when we were throwing out potential packages for Kawhi was Sarich plus Covington, uh, which makes up the salary filler, and then uh, another asset, whether that was going to be the uh, like future Miami pick that they ended up flipping um, on draft night, or whether... Um, that was, or, or whether it was going to be like Markel Fultz or just like a future first round pick. Um, so if I were to make that deal, like I, I would throw in Saric, Covington, and Zaire Smith, who's going to miss this season, I think, with with uh, broken foot, as all Sixers first round picks do. Yeah, of course. You have um, to break your foot at least once <laughs> in Philadelphia. That's. <laughs> but uh, I, I love that package for Minnesota, and yeah. I love it for the Sixers too, because just like having a three man core of. Embiid, Simmons, and Butler is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the Sixers to me right now are like a cut below the Celtics and the Raptors in the East. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if they care about like Competing closing right that now. gap right now. Right. But that would close that gap right now. I think, I, I think so. And I think it, the same thing applies with the Portland thing, right? Like, if you get him right now, you can pay him. 
and you know there's a real real chance where you have this advantage and that, that's what bird rights and like um all this stuff is about right you're supposed to give the team that he's a free agent from an advantage to sign him and i think in this case it's very much going to be an advantage um yeah that's a nice package honestly it really is i think I, I, the timberwolves would like obviously like they need butler right like they would prefer to have butler over these three guys but i mean like if you can't have butler butler is going to make a stink and he's going to do everything like that covington a really solid three and d guy i think Tibbs is going to love him Saric is a very unique power forward in this league that can do a lot of things well he's kind of like a bit like Hito Turkoglu without as much handles and a little bit more of a power game. Who isn't a better soft, defender too? Not as soft as Hito Turkoglu was. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Jair Smith is 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 real solid. I mean, he's he's short, but he can really jump. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's a nice package. I think um, the Nets could also offer something for him as well, but I just don't think it's realistic that they're gonna that honestly the Timberwolves aren't gonna take Damari Carroll, the Nuggets first round pick from 2019, and their own pick from 2019. Like that's just not a very good package that um i don't think the Timberwolves want future picks i think they want to compete right so along those lines if we rule the nets out um i might if i were the nuggets i'd try to poach and i would do something similar to the cj deal where i'll give up gary harris who is on a nice long-term contract gary harris is a really promising player in this league very sneakily a very efficient score um but um yeah i, I think because he's younger than CJ is and making less money, I would actually probably want the Timberwolves to throw in another asset like Tyus Jones. But, um, yeah, I mean, if I'm the Nuggets, like, yeah, upgrade, man. Go for it. Because the Nuggets, like, they're just – the issue with the Nuggets isn't that they don't have nice players, they don't have promise or anything like that. They just don't have anything to sell the fan base. Like, people don't come. So at least make a major trade like this, go back to the playoffs, start generating some of the buzz that has honestly been completely lost since Melo left. Like, no one cares about that team. They had one nice year um, where they – you know, had Andre Iguodala as their best player, but like realistically, no one was really watching that team. Like, you bring Butler in, um, you have Jokic there. He's a more solid defender than Gary Harris, even though Gary Harris, I think, is a, a pretty decent defender. And you probably make the playoffs, and that's not a bad situation to have. Yeah, I, I Gary Harris is a great fit in Denver because of how well he moves without the ball, and he's just been really good at playing off of Jokic, but. I feel like the the trade-off there, like, first of all, I don't even know if you could call it a trade-off. It's just they would have to adapt offensively, right? Because right. Butler is a guy who uh, plays, you know, for the most part with the ball in his hands. Um, and he's not the same kind of off-ball mover that Gary Harris is, not the same three-point shooter that Gary Harris is, but he would help solve their biggest issue, which is the, their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've, they've been a bottom-ten defense basically since Jokic became, uh, you know, their sort of tent-pole star. And Butler, I think, helps provide some workarounds to that, right? Like, right. Um, you give a, a little bit more resistance on the perimeter, and suddenly there's a little bit less pressure on Jokic right. to have to defend the rim, right? Um, and between uh, Butler and Millsap, I think you'd craft at least like a league average defense, even with Jokic in the middle. Right. It's a nice mix of young guys and veterans, too, in that situation. Yeah. Before we go to the break and uh, get the inside scoop from Minnesota, courtesy of Cash, I, I think the one underrated angle from all this is that Butler really didn't want to go to the Lakers and it seemed like there was a report out there that once LeBron got to the Lakers that that really took the Lakers off the board for him he didn't want to play with LeBron and it's like kind of an interesting cycle of like a lot of these players don't really want to play with LeBron I mean you got Kyrie asking out you got Kawhi basically saying "Eh, 
I don't, I don't know. I'd rather go to the Clippers than the Lakers, right? Ramona Shelburne came up with a list and that the Clippers as Kawhi's preferred destination, and then Toronto, and then the Lakers, right? And so you would normally think that with LeBron there and it being the Lakers, it'd be a huge thing. But I, I, it seems like a couple of players don't want to play with LeBron, and um, I don't know. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I think do they not want to become Chris Bosh? Or Kevin Love. Or Kevin I mean, Love, yeah. I think if you're a role player, you'd be thrilled to play with LeBron. Mm-hmm. And if you were another star, you'd probably have some reservations about it. Because LeBron's sort of force of personality, um, both on and off the court, I right. feel like tends to swallow his team's whole, right? Yeah, he does. And, you know, if you're another star thinking about going to play with him, like I feel like you've got to be a little bit worried about just sort of being swallowed up and being subsumed mm-hmm. in service of this sort of cult of personality that uh, tends to follow LeBron around wherever he goes. And, like, your team becomes sort of like a media circus. Yep. You know, you inevitably end up having to adapt stylistically because, you know, ultimately LeBron isn't going to be the guy who adapts. And I think, you know, there, there has to be a little bit of pride-swallowing... Um, adaptability there in service of basically, you know, what LeBron wants. And mm-hmm. I can totally understand why that might put another star off of wanting to go and play there. And I got to admit, like, I didn't really consider this when we were talking early in the offseason, like when LeBron signed there. I think we all took it for granted that he was going to yeah. be able to recruit another star to go and play there. That's what everyone's been talking about nonstop is who else are they going to get? But I don't know, man. But I mean, there's so the Kawhi thing. Uh, sorry, the Kyrie thing yeah. uh, was weird enough as it was, right? Well, like I mean, they, the Kyrie thing. They had reporters asking Kyrie, "Do you look at LeBron like a father figure?" <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you want to put that all on the reporters, but no, I know. But I'm just saying, like that kind of speaks to like the the right. media circus that comes with LeBron, right? For sure. It's you're in LeBron's world. You are not the world anymore. You are just some random guy that's there. But there were also reports that, you know, LeBron used to call Kyrie kid. And yeah. he really didn't like that. You know, there's like an element of, of patronizing behavior there that maybe rubbed Kyrie the wrong way. He so, wanted to teach Kyrie how to win and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah it's true. But like, you can not be so public about it, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's... I don't know. It's kind of like I say, like, like if you are a role player, you go and play with LeBron, like you will elongate your career and maybe have some of the most efficient seasons of your life. Mm -hmm. But if you're another star who, you know, sees yourself as being a top 10 player in the league, which I'm sure Jimmy Butler and and, uh, Kawhi both do. uh, Rightfully so, I think. Sorry? Rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully so. And I, I don't. I don't begrudge them, you know, kind of wanting to do their own thing and not necessarily like completely change how they play and who they are in service of of you know lebron's lakers like i i get that well we'll see we'll see next summer man there there are already rumors out there that kevin durant might join lebron which what which by the way would be a phenomenal story i would just as a fan of the league no attachments to the lakers or the warriors would really love to see that happen but uh i don't know um, that's what we got from the outside for an inside look at what's going on in Minnesota, um, what's going on behind the scenes. Cash is going to deliver that to you. So look for that after the break. Hey, listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. 
For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to Pound the Rock. The topic of the day of the week, really, in the NBA is the predicament Tom Thibodeau and the Minnesota Timberwolves find themselves in with Jimmy Butler. And here to talk about it with us is someone who knows the Minnesota sports scene better than we do and better than any of our listeners do. Uh, longtime Minnesota sports media personality. Five eyewitness news jack of all trades is what uh, he goes by, Darren Wolfson. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, like we were just mentioning off air, you know, I'm sure you're more well versed in kind of what's going on in Minnesota sports than uh, than we are or our listeners are. So, I guess my first question to you is, how how did we get here? How did the Timberwolves and Tom Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler get here in in essentially less than a year or just over a year? How how did we get to this point? I mean, it's an interesting question, Joe. I mean, it is fascinating to think about. I mean, it was what about fourteen or fifteen months ago that the Wolves make the trade. They then, a couple days later, throw a huge news conference at Mall of America. They invited fans. There were about a thousand fans there. It was this huge celebration. You know, Jimmy gives out his cell phone number. He's got five cell phone numbers, but he gave out one of his cell phone numbers, talked about how he was going to to do a lot of community work. You know, he really endeared himself to the fan base that particular day. Then you fast forward 14 months, and it's a complete mess. It's a disaster. It comes down to, Joe, that he really couldn't coexist with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. And he certainly had his issues in Chicago. You know, maybe some of that stuff was overstated, but to me, where there's smoke, oftentimes there's fire. So this isn't new with Jimmy. You know, Jimmy is on the court. I mean, to me, Joe, Jimmy is a top 10 two-way player. I think he is uber talented. He is that good. Yep. A self-made player. He is one heck of a story. But in terms of his personality, being able to mesh with millennials, you know, in particular these guys here, Towns and Wiggins, maybe more so Towns, you know, Jimmy just didn't see himself long-term with these guys. Plus, who's to say that there isn't even more going on behind the scenes? There's all sorts of rumors out there, nothing that I can, I can confirm. But, you know, there might even be more to the story. But in terms of on the court, you know, Jimmy just doesn't feel like long-term after playing with these guys for, for a full season that he can coexist with these guys long-term. So he wants out. Now, you saw one report this week that part of Jimmy wanting out, or maybe even a large part, I forget how exactly it was framed, is that Jimmy wanted more money from the Wolves, that the Wolves were only able to offer, based on the collective bargaining agreement, and their current cap situation was four years, $110 million. So the Wolves extended that offer the first day they could in July. Jimmy turned it down. Now, if the Wolves had been $20 million under the cap, for example, if they had found a way to move Gorgie Jang, Jeff Teague, Taj Gibson, Andrew Wiggins, the Wolves had a lot of guys making a ton of money, the Wolves could have offered Jimmy more money this summer. But it just wasn't realistic. So you've seen that report out there, but I can just tell you, Joe, that even if the Wolves could have offered Jimmy four years, $130 million this summer, he wasn't signing. So we can talk about that, the money side of things, but I can just tell you the main reason that Jimmy wants out is he just doesn't feel like that he can coexist for many reasons with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. What what do you think? I mean, you mentioned many reasons. Is it just a work ethically uh, work ethic thing? Like, is it um, 
uh, an attitude difference? Like, what specifically are the reasons you think that it just it's not going to vibe with with those three guys? I think it's a combination of many things. I mean, I think I think Jimmy thought that that Townsend Wiggins could defend at a higher level, bring better effort on the defensive side of things. You know, that Jimmy could, you know, for for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, because he's not the coach, but coach these guys up the way he likes to, to, you know, mentor guys and help guys. You know, I mean, Jimmy's very much in your face. But I just don't think, especially with the way the personalities are of of Towns and Wiggins, but I think this speaks to, to a lot of millennials, that there's a certain way you need to treat millennials. And I just don't think Jimmy, with his in-your-face type style, meshes well with millennials, in this case, Towns and Wiggins. You know, plus there was also this sense from Towns, my understanding is that that Cat felt like at times it was Tibbs and Butler ganging up on him, that this was always going to side with his guy, Jimmy, so it was two against one. You know, there were certain times where, where you know, Towns and Butler, I mean, heck, a reporter in Houston tweeted this out after one of the playoff games, I don't know if it was game one, game two, game five, but that that Butler told Towns, you know, in a, in a very direct way, to bleepity bleep bleep shut your mouth. Wow. You know, so if he did that in the presence of a reporter, you know, what the heck was Jimmy saying to Cat behind closed doors in practice at times? Yeah. You know, there was an instance, if you go to YouTube, you can find this. If, if you do a search of Tom Thibodeau, Carl Anthony Towns, it was a game at Staples Center against the Clippers, middle of the season, give or take. And you can hear clear as day Tom Thibodeau, you know, calling Cat something that he should not have called him, especially in front of 19,000 people, you know, a national TV audience. Now, I'm also told that Tibbs actually is a bit more relaxed in practice than he was in Chicago, but, you know, you're 60 years old. You know, once you're 60, I mean, Tibbs is 60. You are who you are. Like, you're not all of a sudden changing who you are. And Tibbs won. I mean, Tibbs won with his hard coaching style in Chicago. Heck, he just took the Wolves to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. So, in Tibbs' mind, the way he coaches is the right way. And I guess I can't necessarily fault him. But I'm just saying, I don't think that's that's the way to handle these guys. I think you need to be able to, to massage all the egos as a coach. You know, I think X's and O's are important. But I think in this day and age of the NBA, Joe, I think, I think you need to be able to to relate with your players, connect with your players. And when you're calling your, you know, one of your star players a bleepity bleep, 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 you know, in, in front of a, a national TV audience, you know, it's, it wasn't a good look. So I can just tell you, you know, and, and heck, trust me, you know, Tibbs and Jimmy, you know, communicate enough where I'm sure Jimmy was on the same page as Tibbs when Tibbs did that at the Staples Center. You know, then looking at that instance in, in April, you know, where Jimmy went in, and Cat in front of, you know, at least one reporter. You know, just it, it didn't seem like that they ever really meshed. You know, and, and I think there was always that issue of who's the alpha dog? You know, whose team is this? Who's the face of the franchise? You know, Cat thought it was him, and all of a sudden they make the move for Jimmy. You know, Cat was it. You know, heck, Andrew Wiggins was it. And then they get the number one pick, they bring in Cat. Although Wiggins and Cat actually coexist phenomenally well. Uh, but I think there was there was a butting of heads in terms of, you know, who's who's the guy? You know, can we all get ours? You know, but here's the unfortunate thing, Joe, is when Jimmy was healthy last year, they were on pace to win fifty two games. If you had won fifty two last year, you were what, the three seed in the West? Yeah. Now they were bottom five or six in defensive efficiency. So I don't know if it was a model that was sustainable over a really long stretch, but they were top five offensive efficiency. 
You know, so like there were good things. They won. I mean, when Jimmy played with Gad and Wiggins, they won. You know, unfortunately, Jimmy missed 23 games last year with with a couple different injuries. Jeff Teague also missed time last year. But if they had stayed fully healthy last year, they were good enough to be as high as the three seed. You know, so I mean, there were times when on the court, this thing worked. And that's where it's sad that after 59 games of Jimmy Butler, after the big celebration at Mall of America, that all of a sudden he wants the heck out of here. Well, do you think, because, yeah, look, if, you know, the reports the last couple days now have been that uh, Tom Thibodeau is pretty hell-bent on not trading Jimmy Butler because even though Tom Thibodeau, the GM, should maybe be doing what's best long-term and trying to recoup some assets, Tom Thibodeau, the coach, wants to uh, coach a competitive team and make the playoffs. So if, say, if say Tom Thibodeau does take that stance and doesn't trade Jimmy and this team does get off to a good start or plays, you know, around a 47 to 52 win pace like they did last year, um, do you feel that uh, some measure of on-court success would make this relationship salvageable or do you think those differences between Jimmy and Cat and Wiggins uh, make it so you know tenuous that even success on the court wouldn't change Jimmy's mind he's leaving no matter what I think it's more the latter Joe I do I mean I think it's, it's to the point of of no return and yes while Cook is reluctant to move Jimmy right now you know don't forget that the owner is involved they'll be even more involved here in the next few weeks and months depending on how long they wait to move Jimmy. I do think if I had to bet that Jimmy eventually gets moved, whether it's December, January, and February, right before the deadline, but I do think eventually they move him. They have to get something for him. They can't just play out the season, then lose him and get nothing in return. So I'm positive eventually that they will trade him. But yeah, Tibbs is reluctant. I mean, he's telling teams right now you know, that he has no interest in, in moving Jimmy. But I'm just telling you, Joe, it's, it's beyond the point of, of repair, you know, it, it really is. I mean, you know, when Jimmy, you know, and, and I don't know if this was the best way to handle it. In fact, I'm pretty sure there was probably a better way to handle it. You know, with the story getting out this week, five days before media day, you know, six days before the first training camp practice. You know, why didn't they go to the Wolves in July with the trade request? I mean, trade requests happen, right? But did you have to handle it this particular way? But just to answer your question, Jill, I'm I'm positive it's it's beyond repair. You know what I think is interesting is, you know, when you were mentioning that Jimmy Butler like, and maybe just the way he's wired doesn't mesh with millennial types. The funny thing to me is that, you know, technically Jimmy Butler is also a millennial. If you just go, if you just go by his age and, and, you know, his generation, he is a millennial, but he's not, he's not wired the same, is he? No, he's not. You're right. I mean, I guess by definition, you know, with, with his, with his age, yeah, I mean, he still is a millennial, but. But I'd also argue just, you know, you know, working with, with our interns here and, and being around. Now, I'm 38, so, you know, I'm, I'm right beyond, uh, you know, millennials. But, but being around, you know, enough 21, 22-year-olds compared to 28, 29-year-olds, you know, just having lived it myself, Joe, you know, I do think you make a big jump, you know, maturation-wise, you know, from your early 20s to your late 20s. But, yeah, sure, by definition, Jimmy, Jimmy is a millennial, but... Yeah, I'm just telling you. And, and who knows? Maybe Jimmy can coexist with other millennials. I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to pigeonhole him. <laughs> right, he right. He can't coexist with with any millennials. In fact, I'm positive. You know, there are certain millennials that, that he can absolutely coexist with, play with, be great teammates with. But you know, for for many of the reasons I laid out, and, and I'm sure some things that I don't even know, Joe. You know, it's pretty clear that he can't coexist with the millennials here with the with the Wolves. You know when. 
Tibbs came to Minnesota, and then obviously when Jimmy came and you got the young guys in Wiggins and Cat, I think a lot of people, and I know I looked at it like maybe a bit of a Minnesota basketball renaissance. We all remember, um, you know, the peak KG era years when it seemed like the arena was rocking and then a really like bad downturn in attendance and and kind of fan interest for like about a decade did you sense that they had you know the team had maybe started to recapture the fan base at all last year um you know are people upset right now or is there still kind of a sense of apathy in in the minnesota basketball fan base Yeah, because, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, if he 
he seems and sounds pretty hellbent on leaving one way or another. So if they, you know, if they drag this out and now you're looking at January or, you know, deadline time and, and trying to move him as a, what, two-month rental to a playoff team, the the already low return they're getting on this investment is only going to get lower. Yeah, I still think you can get something for him. But yeah, I mean, what is the return? Right. You know, what is a realistic return? Now, I'll tell you this much. I mean, that's fine if, if Jimmy wants to go to the Clippers, Nets, or Knicks. But the Wolves, when, and again, I'm convinced they eventually will trade him. So I'm talking like it is going to happen. I'm, I'm convinced they're going to take the best deal. Right. Because you know, there might be a team like, you know, Oklahoma City with Paul George or Toronto with Kawhi Leonard that says, hey, if we can get Jimmy here, we'll convince him to stay. You know, he's not going to leave next summer. A team like Miami. Yeah. Maybe Phoenix. Or, you know, you can name any number of franchises. So I'm just telling you, the Wolves are going to try to make the best possible deal. They're just not pitchholed to, to negotiating with the Clippers, Nets, or Knicks. Now, hey, if the Clippers, for example, make the best offer, then sure, I'm sure the Wolves will trade him to the Clippers. But they're going to do what's best, especially with the owner involved. They're going to do what's best long-term for the franchise, not for Jimmy Butler. Is there a team, I mean, everyone's heard, obviously, that his preference is, um, you know, the Nets, the Clippers, or the Knicks. Is there a team that maybe you've heard uh, any rumblings about that maybe from outside of those three that could emerge as a dark horse or, uh, uh, to land them? Well, I mean, I think Boston is interesting just from the standpoint of, you know, Jimmy and Kyrie Irving are, are close. So, you know, could, could Boston somehow convince Jimmy and Kyrie to stay long-term there? You know, is that your power play to, to convince Kyrie to stay? You know, that you don't lose Kyrie next summer. But if you're Boston, you've got so many good young assets and you're also ready to win now. Do you really want to give up assets just to roll the dice? You know, but Boston to me is intriguing. I think Philadelphia with new leadership with Elton Brand is interesting. I do think Phoenix is a team to watch. I'm sure Miami would love to get Jimmy Butler. I just don't know if they have the pieces. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, there's, I think there's definitely some teams. Denver, I think, is another team. There's always teams out there that, you know, like you mentioned with the Raptors and uh, Kawhi Leonard or OKC and Paul George that are probably willing to take the risk and kind of swing for the fences. I'll wrap up by asking you this. You know, we've talked uh, for 15, 20 minutes here about Jimmy Butler and what I think we both can agree is probably going to end up in him leaving Minnesota at some point. What about Tom Thibodeau's future in Minnesota, though? Because, again, you know, you know, Glenn Taylor obviously had a certain vision for bringing Tom Thibodeau here and giving him the power that he gave him and kind of like I mentioned earlier, maybe resurrecting Minnesota basketball and the fan base and filling that arena again and creating a sustainable model for success. And it clearly has not worked so far. So despite the big contract, do you think that the Butler move is maybe a prelude to Tom Thibodeau himself being on thin ice with Glenn Taylor? Yes. I mean, they're even butting heads right now, Joe. You know, from the standpoint of Tibbs doesn't want to trade Jimmy, Glenn is going to be heavily involved. And I'm telling you, they're eventually going trade Jimmy. So they're butting heads now. You know, Glenn also, having owned the Wolves now for, you know, 20 plus years, he's always enjoyed a really close personal relationship with his coach. You know, whether it was Flip Saunders for all those years, even even when Rick Adelman was here, you know, the year that Sam Mitchell was the interim coach. You know, Glenn and Tom have a good professional relationship, 
they don't connect on a personal level. You know, so I can just I can tell you the, the writing is on the wall. I don't know exactly when it'll happen, but I can just about guarantee you that Tom Thibodeau will not fulfill all five years of his contract. He signed a five-year, $40 million deal. He is not going to work out the five years. You know, so whether it's in the next you know, few months or they wait until April after the season to make a move, I can just tell you, it's, it's darn near inevitable, Joe, that, that Tom Thibodeau is going to get fired. Or maybe he just walks away on his own and it's framed as a resignation, but that, that Tom is not the long-term answer for the Wolves. Wow, it, uh, it really is crazy kind of how quickly things uh... – uh, really disintegrated there in Minnesota. And, you know, someone had told me a year uh, a year ago we'd have Darren Wilson on the podcast talk about the Timberwolves going into the season. You know, I probably would have assumed it was them as a rising contender. And instead, here we are. And the conversation was about um, kind of the beginning of the end of this era that felt like it never really got started to begin with. I know. I mean, you think about it, right, Joe? Everything should be celebrated right now. After the Wolves finally made the playoffs after 14 years. Now, it's hard to fathom missing the playoffs 14 straight years. But you have better than a 50% chance on a yearly basis. I mean, you're you're one of 15 teams in the West to make the playoffs, right? Yeah. So you have a better than 50% chance year in and year out to make the playoffs. If they somehow hadn't made the playoffs since the 03-04 season, they finally returned to the playoffs. And you would think, right, everything should be, should be great. Everybody should be holding hands, singing Kumbaya. It should be a great time here. If you're a Wolves fan, if you're a Wolves employee, Yet everything is, is just blowing up. It's it's a complete mess. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I was on uh, to talk about, uh, you know, how good the team is and, and the outlook, you know, this year heading into another year with Jimmy Butler and, and can the Wolves climb up from that eighth spot? You know, can Jimmy find a way to stay healthy, play 80-plus games? Can Jeff Keith find a way to stay healthy? You know, play 75, 80-plus games? You know, and the Wolves trying to climb up from the eighth seat to, you know, something like the four or three seat. Can they make a serious run? Can they win a playoff series again, finally? You know, so it is. It's unfortunate because I can just tell you, I mean, I root for storylines, right? Give me something to talk about, write about. But I'd be lying if I told you I didn't have a lot of friends that work with the Wolves. You know, whether it's friends or acquaintances, a lot of good people work for the Wolves organization. I just feel bad for them. You know, so if the Wolves were winning, you know, their livelihoods would be better, their professional livelihoods. You know, so that would make me feel better. They're just super unfortunate. They're trying to sell single-game tickets. You know, single-game tickets just went on sale. I mean, best of luck to, to Wolves ticket sellers. I mean, how the heck do you sell tickets right now? You know, so it is. It's just it's unfortunate. But hopefully at some point, you know, hopefully Carl Anthony Towns signs his extension before October 15th. I still think he will. You know, so you have a good building block there. I wouldn't give up on Andrew Wiggins. In fact, you know, of everybody in, in, in town here in the media, I mean, I might be the ultimate Andrew Wiggins apologist. So I think he'll, he'll revert back to the player he was a couple of years ago when he averaged nearly 24 points a game once Jimmy Butler goes. So I still think when you have those two building blocks, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, it's not a complete disaster here. So hopefully in the coming years, you know, they get the right GM in place, that GM hires the right coach, and the Wolves can get back to, you know, being a consistent playoff contender like they were in the, in the late 90s into – into 03 and 04 and, you know, can have Towns here for a long time and Wiggins here for a long time. Well, however it plays out, Darren, whether that uh, happens sooner rather than later or if it's more bad news, either way, uh, we look forward to maybe catching up with you again to see how this kind of unfolds. You got it, Joe. See you later.